Thank you so much for tuning in to our church podcast. You can go to atarapentecost.com for questions about services and how to donate. We pray that you are blessed by this message today. God bless. It said, is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul that I might show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. And when they had called him unto David, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I might show the kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son which is lame on his feet. And the king said unto him, Where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he is in the house of Machar, the son of Emil in Lodabar. Then king David sent and fetched him out of the house of Machar, the son of Emil from Lodabar. Then Matthew chapter number 16 and I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And I'd like to preach to you this morning a little preached it before, but go a little bit different direction uh, today, and uh, I'd like to preach to you on a place called Lodabar. Amen. I'm going to ask Brother Jonathan McCune if he would please lead us in a word of prayer, and amen, if we could just all come together here for a few minutes here this morning. I believe that the Lord does want to speak to somebody here this morning, all right? Would you join with us, please? Brother Jonathan. Amen. You may be seated. Our story this morning is about a man who was accidentally dropped by his caretaker while escaping what she thought was imminent danger trying to protect him. He was only five at the time, and when he was dropped, it caused permanent damage causing him to be lame on both feet. Mephibosheth. It was a day straight, really, out of the devil's handbook, you might say, for that young man. He woke up one morning, being the third in line to ascend the throne of Israel. Right behind his dad, Jonathan, Prince Jonathan, who would precede his grandpa, Saul. You know the story. I'm not going to go into detail here. Of course, you know, circumstances didn't 
go that way because of Saul. But here he was, a young man that was born and raised in the king's palace. His dad was a prince. His grandfather was king. Pretty, pretty nice way to start, don't you think? And, but one day changed the course of this young boy's life. What happened was that maybe we don't know what time it was, but maybe it was around 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and, and uh, one of his father's key people that surrounded him every day, he showed up at the house, and he brought news. And the news was both his father and his grandfather had fallen on the battlefield of Mount Gilboa. The officer instructs the nurse to take Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, and run and save that boy's life. Because back in those days, they at least thought it was the, historically, it was the way that things happened, that surely the enemy will be looking for any successors to the throne. In other words, a new king would come, and back in those days, they would destroy any family lineage that might cause problems along the way. I'm sure that that nurse that had cared for that young man since, he, since his birth raised him to five years of age, that she packed a few clothes, took a few items of food, took Jonathan's young five-year-old Mephibosheth and makes a beeline for the door trying to get out of there and order to save this little boy, and we know that five-year-olds, I'm not sure how old Silas is, but I like that little boy. <laughs> and, but as young boys are, a lot of times they're not very cooperative. And so the nurse has him along with everything else in her arms, and she's trying to get out the back door, and, and uh, little five-year-old Mephibosheth, he starts to throw a fit. He doesn't want to leave home. This is the only place he, he kind of likes it there. He doesn't know any difference. And so in the, in the ensuing struggle and that young boy trying to get out of her arms that she juggles everything and she drops this little five-year-old boy and there it is that he... He, he, uh, he breaks, apparently, both ankles, and he becomes lame for the rest of his life. How quickly things can change. How quickly. See, in 2 Samuel 4, 4, as we read, that he became led, he became lame on his feet. We know that that means that he was a cripple. Who's to blame for such a tragedy? Who's at fault? Philistines? His parents? Where was his mom? We don't know. Or was he just a young boy caught up in a very bad time of war? See, 
The word, the name Mephibosheth means shattered or shamed. Now, we need to understand the conditions in his day were different than they are in our day. Medical treatment, long-term care. There was no emergency room that he could go to. There was no local hospital. And here he is. His, his very name means shattered, broken, chained. There's a little boy that was by all rights and means that he was born in the right place and he was had great his his dad was a prince his grandfather was king and but through no fault of his own he gets caught up in a situation and through no fault of his own and really no fault of the person who was trying to help him but he is he's dropped and shattered and broken and he becomes lame Where does he go? He finds refuge in a town by the name of Lodabar. Quite quite the name. What does it mean? It means a place where there's no pasture. It's barren. There's no promise. There's nothing. That's what that town means. Do we get a picture of what lies inside the city gates, I wonder? wonder what normal day is like for residents of Lodabar. wonder what a normal day is like for this five-year-old boy that is taken into that city. wonder what normal day would be like to a little boy that's lame and crippled. No visitors. He's hiding. No one even knows that he's there. He grows up. Don't remain five all your life. He grows up. What can he do that normal boy should do or could do? Probably not a lot. Lodabar, no visitors, no one even knows that he's there. Nobody knows he's there. He's a forgotten young boy that's been dropped at a young age. Second Samuel chapter 9, we read, and, but there's a question that comes from the king David, the new king, and he says, is there anyone that is left of the house of my enemy Saul? The word says, yes, there is. There is one kid left. His name is Mephibosheth. Why do you want to know, David? Because he says, I want to show him kindness. I want to show him the kindness of God for Jonathan's sake. Why? 
You'll find in 1 Samuel 18, 4, that David and Jonathan were, they were very, very close friends. In fact, it says that they made a covenant between each other. Covenant was a solemn promise to each other for mutual assistance and defense, even unto death, for as long as they should live, and even upon the death of one of them, the other party was to show kindness to the other's family. That's what covenant meant. What it does mean. Where is he, David says. You don't really want to know, David. He's in a very bad place. Where is he? He's in Lodabar, a barren place, no promise, nothing there. You see, it even gets worse. For not only is he in this city of Lodabar, but he's in the house of Maker. What is so bad about that? Well, the, the name Maker means, it means to be sold as merchandise for slavery. It also means ruin, wreck, desolation. You don't think it could get any worse. Well, hold on, because Maker's dad, it, you notice it, it gives them all, it gives Maker's name, and it gives his father's name. His father's name is Emil, which means to become dim, to hide, to darken, or to be held in darkness. A man who has been dropped and crippled living within a city with no promise, no pasture, nothing. Within this city is a place he has been forced to live. Notice the Bible doesn't say it's his home. It's only a house. He finds himself a crippled man living in darkness. Can anybody relate here this morning? I've never done it in this way before, but I can relate a little bit to Mephibosheth. I know that there's somebody here this morning that can relate to this story. I want to show you a photo, the boarded up one, if you would. That's the first house I lived in when I moved to Tri-Cities in 1967. There was only eight of us in there. My sister, she got married and moved on. Eight of us lived there. Two bedrooms. And uh, we moved, once we moved out, they condemned it. And then... Uh, here a couple of years ago, somebody bought it, remodeled it, and we're in it again. You see, I can relate a little bit to that. That's Brother Jake and 
he knows where that's at. That's 2125 East Street, Baker, Oregon. That's where Sister Kathleen and I dropped by on our, as we were coming back for our 45th anniversary. That's the house that I was born and raised in. And, and uh, when we moved out of that one, as a 12-year-old, they condemned it. But you see, God, I want, I, want, I want to speak to somebody here this morning. There is somebody here I believe that you, you, you are doubting for whatever reason that God can transform your life and that He can make your life into something that is beyond your imagination. I'm speaking to somebody here this morning that you are right now possibly in a home or a house that is dark and dreary. You feel like that you have been dropped on your head and that you have been dealt a very bad hand in life. You see, I can relate to Mephibosheth. Let me give you a little story to go with that photo, if you would. A young boy, 11 years old. Best student, poor, yeah, we're poor, but good student, great athlete. December 13, 1965, I won the only contest that I'd ever won in my life. Free throw contest. 25 at one end of the court, 25 at the other. I was a, probably Cooper's size, maybe a little bit small, probably more like Mason's size, right? And... Uh, I tied my best friend, so we had to go in Monday morning, December 13th, do a shoot-off to see who was going to go to the junior high and compete with the seventh graders. Everything I threw up went in. About that tall, made like 38 out of 50 free throw shots. Couldn't, couldn't believe it. Just couldn't. I was one excited young boy. I was so excited. Went through that day of school and ran home. Always ran everywhere I went. Ran home. And my mother meets me at the front door and tells me that my father died. Seven kids. You talk about feeling like I had just been dropped on my head. I've told you the story before. Two months later, my mother remarries. Uprooted out of the 
the only school and the only friends that I'd ever had from grade, from 1 through 12, you know, from the age of 1 through 12, and began this circle of moving around. And I found myself in a grave Moved here in 1967 into that boarded up house. Mad, Brother Block, mad, angry, rebellious. Anybody and everybody that any authority figure, I was one angry. And for eight years, I got caught up in that situation. 1967, you had to have been alive in order to recognize and be aware of what was going on during that time period. Kelly can witness to that. But got into one thing. One thing led to another. And one alcohol turned to drugs, to more drugs, to more drugs. And it got me deeper and darker and deeper and darker and deeper and darker. And I, by the time, from my heart, I tell you, by the time that I was a senior in high school, I was an absolute mess. Poor. I could share a, my grandkids, they always tell me to do something that I won't do because you wouldn't hardly believe it anyway, but but I tell you this, I felt like that there was no, I had a zillion friends, folks. I had a billion friends. I had so many friends that would hunt, but deep inside of my heart, I felt like that there was nobody that knew where I was. And I felt like really nobody really understood. Nobody even cared where I was. But I was getting kicked out of the ninth grade. I missed 28 days of school in the eighth grade. And not one time. Every time I get picked up by the cops or whatever, not one time did anybody ever sit down and say, Grant, why are you the... There were no counselors in my schools that even took the time. You would think, right, 
if I may, if you were my teacher and I missed 28 days of school, my son-in-law, sir, he would say, dude, what's, what is your deal, man? What's wrong with you? Nobody. But Jeff, <laughs> unbelievable, right? Nobody even came and asked me what my problem was. I've told you the story. I am not telling you that the truth. By the time I was 21, I took a backpack, I took a Bible, I put it in that backpack, I hitchhiked the Yellowstone National Park because I was going to try to find God. Unbelievable. It's true. You see, when the devil gets you in a dark place, he wants to keep you in a dark place. But there was something that started stirring in me. I didn't, nobody. There was a few, what we call Jesus freaks back. You'd go to a rock festival, and Jesus freaks would come in, you know, the day of the last day of the rock festival. And then we'd go out and get high that night with them. Or we would call them. But there was something, there was something inside of me that God began to deal with this young man. And I am, I took a Bible, Brother Jonathan. I put it in my backpack. I hitchhiked to Yellowstone National Park. I leaned against a tree. I opened to the book of Genesis to try to find the answer to my life. And guess what? I got kicked out of the park because they said the bears were getting me. So I met a man named Joe Still Jr., and guess what we did? He said, man, let's, let's hang out, you know. I said, well, sure, why not? All we did was, you know, go to Jackson Hole, Wyoming, go to the Tetons, went to Sun Valley, Idaho, cut firewood for the ski lodge for a few weeks. And I came home, and I was still If you are unsatisfied with where you are, God, that is where God will begin to move in your life and he will begin to unfold a plan that he has to reach out and to get a hold of your life. Little did I know that there was a king that was in charge and he was alive and he was sitting upon the throne. And he said, there was a, there was a word, you see, Jesus Christ made a covenant with fallen humanity. 
And he said, I will come and I will save you and I will give my life in order to get to where you are and then I will change you. I will transform you, young man, and I will allow you to sit at my table and you can dine with me. David says, you go get him. You go to that dark place, and I want you to fetch him out of there. And I guarantee you, when David's elite seal force rode up to the city gates of Lodabar, I guarantee you that when they knocked on those gates, those gates were not used to being open because who was inside of them was the fallen. They were the lepers of society. They were the ones that couldn't get around, that nobody liked. They said, what are you doing in this place? They said, we've got a message to, we've got a message for this place. The king hath sent me to fetch, there's a little boy called Grant Knowles, J. Jeff. There's a king's message that has went out, and he has told me that I'm to reach in to that very dark place, and I'm going to pull him out. I said, you're going to do... Do you know where that little boy lives? Not a little boy anymore. He said, yeah, we know that he's living in a very dark house, in a very dark place. He said, yeah. He said, We're, I want you to know that when Jesus, when Jesus says, Peter, whom? He said, whom do men say that I am? He said, well, some say you're a good guy, you know, prophet and all that kind of stuff. He says, but who do you say? Peter says, I'm telling you. He says, man, he says, I'm telling you. He says, I got this thing all over me. He says, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus looked at him. He said, Peter, I want you to know that it is in flesh and blood that has revealed that to you, but it is the Holy Ghost. He says, and upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. What rock is that? Jesus Christ is that rock, and it is his name. And he said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against my church. I will reach right into the darkest places of hell on earth. I will pull Mephibosheth out of there. And I will sit him at my table. Along with the Urshans and the Bectons and the Manguns. There's a seat that has GK all over it. Little did I know that 
after moving out of that little boarded up house, we would move over on 14th Street. Little did I know that that was the precise location where a mother of Zion lived. Her name was Bessie Clementson. She had a prodigal son. And for what, seven years, all we did was go get in trouble. But one day, that prodigal son had had enough, and he said, I'm going back to my father's house. I'm getting out of this pig pen. And he came to my house one day and he said, GK, I want you to come with me to my father's house. I want you to know that he is calling you, that he wants to bring you out of this drug infested life that you're in. And he wants to maybe one day make a preacher out of you. Maybe a pastor out of you. Maybe whatever. But he wants you to sit at his table. And he'll accept you, Mephibosheth, even though you got lame legs. They bring him back. He says, you can read the story. Mephibosheth falls before. And David says, I just got nothing but kindness for you. He says, I'm a dog. He says, what do you want with a dog? You have no idea what I, my undervalued, my my worthlessness that I felt when I gave my heart to God. You got no clue how worthless I was. I felt as I was the absolute bottom at the bottom of the food chain. Even though Mephibosheth, David reached in and got him out of there. But he was still lame. He was still lame. Because, see, he had to operate within the law of the first covenant. And there was no need. And I want you to know that when God reached into that dark place that I was. And I was lame. I was broken. I was new. But I want you to know that when he brought me in and set me at his table, I want you to know that the new covenant 
offered something that, that the old covenant didn't. And it brought healing to my heart and my soul. It brought healing to my mind. It brought healing to my self-worthlessness. I began to feel as if I was dining with the king. I felt like that every time I came to the house of God, I was surrounding myself with king's kids. See, in the new covenant, Luke 14, and Matthew records it also, but Luke 14 tells us that a king sent an invitation out. He said, I want you to go out there. He says, I've got a dining cuisine that surpasses Devin Cooking. He says, I want you to go out there, boys. I got a spread. He says, I want you to go out. I want you to invite all the, you know, all the folks. Go to, you know, go to the businesses and invite them and everything. And, and uh, they began to say, hey, man, you're not going to believe it. But the king wants you to come and dine with him. The Bible says they all begin to make, excuse you know, the, the big shots that got too much money or they got too much pride or they got... You know, they, their, their house is too big. They can't get down to the bottom floor in time enough to make it or whatever. They, they begin to make excuses. And you will find that other than when Jesus went into the temple, okay, twice, and began to do a little bit of house cleaning. Can you imagine the Lord getting a little bit under the collar and begin to, you know, to fillet a few people. You read it. He did it twice. Kick tables over. Oh. It's the house of God, folks. It is a sanct. It is a, it is a sanctuary. It is for Everything about God. Nothing more. Nothing less. This is a God house. This is it. This is a refuge for the souls of men. This is a place that I covet. That when I come into this place, I don't care what day it is, but on a Wednesday, I love coming here on Wednesdays. Sunday, mor Sunday morning, Sunday morning is my deal, okay? You know why? Because, because I could not understand, Brother Copeland, how somebody so magnificent could want somebody like me that had been dropped on their head and left as useless for so many years. Why would he want me, Sister Reyes, to come in and dine with the rest of the group? That's why I feel I still, I was talking to somebody yesterday, and I told him, I said, I still don't have a challenge. I'm still challenged with the idea at times, okay? 
Don't get me wrong. It's a God thing. I understand. But I, Brother McEwen, I am still challenged sometimes about my calling as a leader and as a pastor. I still am challenged by it. Probably shouldn't have told you that, huh? Because I got because I wake up in the mirror. I wake up, not in the mirror, I wake up and I look in the mirror and I say, dude, what are who do you think you are? What are you doing? But you see, I understand that God uses simple to absolutely bewilder and befuddle the wise. See, and when people look at me, they know it's a God thing. Yeah, they do. Oh, yeah, they know it's a God thing. They say, dude, you're not that smart. I said, I know, I'm not. Right? You don't. How do you? How did we, how did, how did we put up this sanctuary? You're not that smart. You're not one of, you know, you're not an elite. You didn't graduate from CLC. Who do you think you are? I know. See, I'm just a simple fella that made himself available. Says, God, whatever you want, okay? If you can... If you can handle me, which is a challenge, right? But if you can work through me, then I'm your guy, okay? I'm your guy. But you see, under the new covenant, there is no lameness. There's no blindness. There's no, there's no, Sister Jeannie, there's no more broken hearts. There's no more scars of my past that, you know, if every once in a while, you know, something will jump out and say, boo! You know, that's when I need to make two steps forward. Okay? I know you all never have to do with that, do you? Some jump out from your past and say, boo! That's for next week. But... You know, I look at, I look at, I look at people in the church. I look at, I look at these young couples and I say, you have room in your heart what God wants to do in your heart. Do you have a clue? He's gonna, he gonna blow you, he's gonna blow your mind. Yeah. He gonna, he gonna completely obliterate the way that you the way you're thinking today. I know because some of us, you know, it takes a while to get beyond your past, right? Depends on how bad you were, you know, or how far down in the hole you had to dig yourself out of. But, you know, it, it takes some years. That's why, you know, Brother Woods was 
preaching, teaching here, somebody mentioned our elders. Whether they look at, boy, Brother McKeown, the guy's over 70. Yeah, the guy's over 70 years old. I look at him and go, wow, he's got some history behind him. But our young people go, wow, God, see, deal here. God's got an early start on you guys. Yeah, that's why, you know, some folks like, like me and picked on a couple other ones out here, but better not, right? That's why we're, we're way, because, wow, it took a long time for us to even get our foot in the door. But you guys got a head start, man. Wow. The message for Lodabar is this. The king got a message. Wherever you are today, the king has sent me, and the king has sent you. And they are, we are challenged today to walk right up to the very gates of that very dark house and proclaim to them that the king has sent us, and we are going to pray for them, and we are going to... We're going to fetch them right out. It was a Jude or James that said, says, you're going to pluck him right out of there. You're like a brand out of the fire. You're going to beat down and kick him out of there, man. That's what we are. That's who we are. And Jeff talking about that college saying, that's a good thing, making inroads with the community. But our message is this, folks. Our message is that the living God loves you so much that he established a new covenant with you, with you, with humanity. And he said, you cannot mess this plan up because I have already established that when a covenant is made, it is a lifetime commitment between the two parties. And if either one of them breaks their side of the covenant, they are dead. The one kills the other. That's the way it works, folks. That's right. But God's plan, Jesus Christ said, I already know that you'll never be able to keep your end of the deal, and so I'm going to nail it to the cross so you cannot have that burden to take with you any time. So you will know that I already gave my life for you, and you will mess up, Mephibosheth. You will get dropped again. You will get hurt again. But I'm telling you that you can get yourself up and dust yourself off, and you can come, and you can sit at my table, and you can dine right with the rest of this group. Because my blood, because that blood atonement that I gave for that covenant, it is so powerful that it will wash away the sins of the entire world. As you stand with us.
Where are you this morning? Where are you? Where do you live? Where do you live? When we were young, Kathleen and I first got married, and I probably shouldn't say this. I do not say this disrespectfully, okay? I'm just telling you, you know, okay, I'm not, I'm not part of that woke thing, so I use a little bit of language sometimes, it, and I say this only because to let you kind of know where we come from, right? I mean, we were trailer trash for 11 years. Northeast Pasco, single wide, 14 by 56. People in church, they would lock their doors if they did come see us. Right, it's true. But then we graduated and we traded in for a double wide. Paid $24,000 for it. We didn't know how in the world we were going to make a $348 a month payment. I'm just saying that to tell you that if God can use us, but you got to want to go to that house. Understand? You got to want to teach that Bible study, Brother Colton. You got to want to reach into your cousins and your, you know, all the, all your relatives. You got to, you got to want, you got to want to reach into your old friends. You got to want to display a Christ-like spirit to them. You don't have to hammer them. You certainly don't have to, you know, an axe or a 238. <laughs> you got to kill them with kindness. Got to kill them with kindness. You got to, yeah, you, you got to, you know, Sister Leona, you're, you're such a great girl. She probably never. I talked to Brother Carl Smith, right? Had a great conversation. I said, you know, your son's just, he's a little bit too big. I says, did he ever cause a problem at all? He says, no. I says, you've got to be kidding me. There can't be anybody that can like him. Right? But lo and behold, there is. You know why? Because there are those that know what they have when they die in the, the kingdom. Why would they want to leave and go somewhere else when they're dining with the king from their littlest age? Oh, why would you want to go? Why do I want to go eat at the taco wagon? I know. People tell me that. I'm not brave enough. I haven't <laughs> ate there yet. They got a lot of them. I don't do that, right? I'm afraid of what their kitchens look like, and I often question, where's the restroom? I don't know, but... But why, you know, why? Man, I've eaten. 
think we should get Jack on. Oh, probably not, sure. <laughs> but, yeah, you know, because if you can get them, these belongs in the wood, you know, I, I told Brother Jeff, I'm, I'm so thankful that my grandkids have, you know, other church kids to grow up with and have fun with, you know, and that good stuff. Because you, they, they got to, they, you got to make your children be aware. And you have to make coming to the house of God absolutely the most special thing in your life. It's got to be a want to do. It's got to be I want to go to church. Amen. But I'm, I'm going to just, uh, we're going to open up the altar. We're going to let you pray for a few minutes. And Sister Ida, if you want to come pray for a little while, and then Sister Denise is going to help you get ready for baptism. But, but in, in all truthfulness, if you're here and if you're struggling this morning, if you're struggling here today and you're, you just can't seem to get through whatever, it may be just a little tiny bit of darkness that you're experiencing that you just, you know, you, you know it's not a God thing and it, you, you want it to go away. I'm here to tell you this morning that it can go away and we will pray with you and we will pray that God will deliver and give you victory over whatever it is today. You got to get that victory, man. You got to get through that thing. So, as they play and sing, we're going to give you an opportunity if you'd like to come down to the front. And if you need special prayer, if you'll come right down here and we will pray with you and for you that the Lord would minister and do the miraculous in your life today. And then uh, we'll go in the back and we'll baptize this young lady here this morning. But would you come? If you're, listen, if you're a, if you're a family this morning, what a, what a blessed thing that it is to have your family with us. And we, I think it would be a good thing if you'd come down to the front and if you'd just lift your hearts to the Lord here for just a few minutes and thank Him. Thank Him for drawing you out of the darkness, out of the darkness into His marvelous, marvelous light. Would you come this morning? That's it. Hallelujah. Don't be bashful. Don't be bashful. Amen. The Lord has got something special for somebody here today. I just, I just believe it. Hallelujah. I believe it. Thank you, Jesus. We do love you, Lord. We do love you, Lord. We do love you, Lord. We do praise you, O oh God. We do praise you, O oh Lord. Hallelujah. That's it, Brother Sergeant. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we pray. That's it, Mike, that's it, Mike. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. I am saved by your cross. And whose loss you came and found. 
Say. 